of our In Motion message series on this Super Bowl Sunday, which San Francisco Bay Area has declared as a national state of mourning for all of our area. Somebody came up to me this morning and asked me if I would pray for the New England Patriots today. And I said, I prayed for the San Francisco 49ers, and that didn't go so well, so I probably shouldn't pray for your Patriots. All joking aside, it's a day of mourning for some people from the Bay Area, but it is a great day of celebration here at South Bay Church because on this Sunday three years ago, South Bay Church had its grand opening, and now we celebrate three years since birth, and God has done great work in a very short period of time where we've gone from six people to over 750 people, and more than that is the countless number of lives that God has changed in a very short period of time, and we are just getting started. In fact, this week, we began the demolition process on our new facility. We had a bunch of South Bay people over there with hammers, swinging holes, making holes in walls, and knocking down big two-by-fours and columns. And thank you to those of you who served. You can also be involved this week, and we begin our construction process. There's a little uh, form inside your program. Just throw that in at the end of the service if you want to be a part. And we're praying and working and do everything that we can to get into that facility by the time Easter, but it's going to require some great miracles from God. The last thing I want to tell you that I'm really excited about today, we launched a brand new part of our Bay Kids ministry called the Stingrays, which is for five, six, and seven-year-olds, and we're really excited about that and all the hard work that went in. And I'm especially excited because my five-year-old son, Cademan, is in there, and he was talking about it all week long that he was going to get to be a part of Stingrays today. And he actually came to the conclusion that he wants to work on staff at South Bay Church and told my wife... He's starting the interview process now because he's only five years and it's five years old and it's really hard to get on our staff. But he's, uh, he, he has decided that on the weekends he wants to work for the Stingrays and then from Monday through Friday, his day job, he wants to be a ninja. So we're, we're doing everything that we can to help him with that. Now today we're concluding our In Motion message series. And what we've been talking about over the last five weeks as we've been saying that Jesus, when he was here on planet Earth, he challenged people's paradigm. He changed the way that they saw God, the way that they saw themselves, and the way that they saw others. Not only did he challenge their paradigm, but he called them to action. The biblical word is called obedience. He challenged people to do something with the teaching that he gave to them. Now, Jesus is more than an ordinary guy or a great teacher or somebody who brought healing to people. Jesus was and is God who lived in human flesh. And today we're going to look at the, five, the fifth bold move that Jesus challenged his followers to make a move that will make a radical difference both in our lives and in the lives of the people around us, and it's the move to share God's love boldly. And here's what we've been saying through this series, that all of us are one to two decisions or one to two moves away from the life that God designed us to live. You might be one to two decisions away from complete financial freedom or one to two decisions away from a marriage or a relationship with your spouse that's life-giving. One to two choices, singles, from a pursuit of marriage in a way that will lead you to the spouse that is the spouse that God wants you to get married to. One to two decisions away from a life that is freed from anxiety and and stress. And these bold moves are all about getting in action with our faith, not just hearing but doing something with Jesus' teaching. And this last move is no different. It's a call for us to boldly share God's love with the people in our sphere of influence. And I remember so distinctly the first time that I realized my life could make a difference. I remember being in high school and God was changing my heart. 
My parents had gone through a nasty divorce. There was this, this tearing in my heart and emptiness, yet I began to discover that God is for me and He loves me and I could have a relationship with Him. And then now I, I started to experience peace and joy that I never had before. And I so badly wanted to share that with the people in my sphere of influence. And I remember getting together with a group of friends who we went to high school together and we planned this event after school one day. And at that event after school one day, I stood up and I shared about the difference that God had made in my life. And then there was a youth pastor from the area who stood up and invited people to follow Christ. And that day, seven of my friends who I wrestled and played football with made a decision to follow Christ. And I, I discovered for the first time, I could be a link in the chain of somebody's eternity be ch being changed. And I was completely ruined from that moment forward. That became a pivotal point in my journey when I realized that my life could make a difference. And I want to lift your vision today for you to see your life different, to realize that God has made you. And if you're here and your heart is beating and you're a follower of Christ, God has left you on planet earth because he wants to use your life to make a difference in the people around you. And if you're not a follower of Christ, my hope is that with this message, you would hear our hearts and you would see and understand how significant and important you are to the vision of our church, that the reason we started this church is for you so that you could experience God's love in a practical way. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 4. We're going to look at verse number 23 through 34. And in this story, we're going to unpack the DNA of bold living. We're going to unpack what it means for us on a day-to-day -day basis to live boldly in proclaiming the message of Christ and God's love to our sphere of influence. And we're going to see in the early church the characteristics of a life and a group of people that have embodied the message of Christ and then boldly share it with others. Now, I want to share with you the context of what's going on in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 35, and then we're going to go back to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to look at these four characteristics of bold living. Let me share the context first. In this story in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus has commissioned his disciples. The 11 guys who spent time with him and a group of large people, 120, Jesus gives them this vision to extend his love to every nation, tribe, and tongue. And he sends them out. And they receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and they start spreading God's love to the point that 5,000 people have made a decision to follow Christ with their life. It was an exponential movement, uh, somewhat similar to what we're experiencing here, but at a much more rapid rate. And all of a sudden, the disciples start doing things that hack off the religious folk. In fact, there's one guy who had not walked his whole life up until he's about 40 years old. He's standing at a gate called the, the Beautiful Gate, and he comes up to James and John, or Peter and John, and he asks them for them to give him some money. He's begging like he had done his whole life. And Peter and John look at him, and they say, we don't have money for you, but what we do have, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And this guy who's been lame from birth stands up, and all of a sudden, he starts walking, and he's praising God, and the religious people are getting more and more frustrated because Jesus is getting all this credit. They're testifying to the fact that they believe Jesus is alive, and the religious leaders pull back in Peter and John, two of Jesus' core disciples, and they say to them, listen, we're ordering you not to speak the name of Christ. You cannot testify about this Jesus who you say has resurrected from the dead. These guys look back at the religious men, and they say, you're the one that murdered him. You tried to put him down, but you couldn't keep him down. He came back from the grave three days later, and we cannot help but speak of what we have seen. 
So these men, these religious leaders, look at Peter and John and they say, if you keep talking about Jesus, you will lose your life. And they said, that's fine. We cannot help but speak of what our eyes have seen. So these men go back, and there's a group of followers of Christ who've gathered together, and that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. The scripture says, On their release, Peter and John went back to all the people and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God. And they said, Sovereign Lord, you made the earth and heaven and the sea and everything in them. And then verse number 27, it says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus. But they did what your power and your, and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Look at their response. All of a sudden, they're faced with death. And they've been given this mission from Jesus to boldly share his love with other people. Yet in their moment of greatest need, they come before God and they ask him of, uh, to give his help. And then in verse number 30, they say, Now, Lord, 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Do you see this? These guys, in their moment of greatest need, knowing that they might lose their lives, come back to God and they say, God, we just need you to give us a little more boldness. We need you to fill us up one more time so that we can go back out and proclaim this message. And then in verse number 32, the scripture says, or 31, after that they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, sounds like the San Francisco Bay Area, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and then they went back out and they proclaimed the message again with boldness. And in verse number 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything that they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them. Do you realize these guys are crazy? They're absolutely off their rocker insane. They've been threatened with their lives, yet they go back out and do the exact same thing that a a day ago, they were told that they would be murdered for. And it's this cycle of them asking God, give us more boldness, give us more faith, give us more courage. And God is filling them up. And the movement of Christ is just rapidly and exponentially expanding. Oh, how I long for us to have this kind of boldness. For at the core of our hearts, as those of us who are followers of Christ underneath my voice, that our lives would be so filled with this boldness that this would become the essence of everything that we do, that when we wake up in the morning, our hearts would beat, would beat with passion that today we get to extend God's love to somebody around us and we would continue to go before him with boldness. But there is something that has to happen in our hearts before we get to that point. Really, the DNA of a bold life has to fill us up. And that's why we're going to go back to Acts chapter 1. So flip two pages back, and the passage will be on the screen. And I want us to walk through and see what's happening in the lives of these disciples that have led to such great boldness. See, listen, 11 of the guys that followed Jesus left him when he was crucified. I mean, think about that for a second. Jesus has spent three years teaching them, investing in their lives, healing blind people, bringing babies or children back from death. And now Jesus goes to be crucified, and all of these 11 men leave him. And then something happens. 
in a moment, there's a transition to now these become bold and courageous men that are extending God's love to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says this. After his suffering, he, meaning Jesus, showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Don't you think that if you're in the story, I know that sometimes it's easy for me to judge people in the Bible. Anybody else? I mean, you, you see some of the stupid things that they do, and somehow the scripture says that Jesus gave them many convincing proofs. I think if I saw a, a dude who had holes in his hands and holes in his feet, and he, he had been crucified and placed into a grave, like one time would be enough for me. That's all. That's all. I'm good with that. But scripture says he gave them many convincing proofs. It was almost as if there was this period of about 40 days that over and over and over again, Jesus so needed to convince them that they understood at the core of who they were that this man was not an ordinary teacher. He's not just a, a great guy who could heal people. He was and is God in human flesh. And as the passage continues, it says, He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The first thing, the first component of a life that is bold before God is a life that is convinced of the resurrection of Christ, number one. It's a life that has become so utterly convinced of the resurrection of Christ that it consumes every component of who we are. These men went from cowards to those who were willing to lose their lives for the sake of their faith in Christ. Today you may intellectually believe in the resurrection of Christ, but you haven't taken that belief to its logical conclusion that if this man Jesus did resurrect from the dead, if this man Jesus really is who the Bible says he is, if these disciples if the historical data upon them outside of the Bible really is true. Now, listen to me. Those of you who are exploring faith, listen right now. The 11 disciples who would follow Jesus would all, aside from the man named John, be brutally murdered for their faith in Christ. Many of them being crucified upside down, one of them having his head beat out on a rock with this big piece of stone. They had so become convinced of the message of Christ that they went from cowards and historically, we can verify from extra-biblical sources, from people who do not even believe in the message of Christ, that all of these men would give their life for their faith in Christ. The thing that transitioned, the hinge point for these men and women who would give their lives for Christ, was the reality that Jesus had conquered the grave. It was the fact that a guy had been placed in the grave, and three days later, with no, like, no EKG monitors on his heart or people pumping in him doing CPR. He resurrected back from the dead, proving the fact that he's God and he can overcome death. This is the hinge point for all of the Christian faith. If this guy named Jesus lived here for 33 years and he was crucified and he was placed into a grave, he's just a great teacher, maybe a prophet at best. But if he resurrected from the dead... The logical conclusion is that his death on the cross was a payment so that all of humanity can be bridged back to God. And your good deeds, no matter what religion you follow from Islam to, to Buddhism to Hinduism to Christianity, your good deeds when you stand before God and my good deeds will not amount up enough for us to be made right with God. That the death of Jesus was a payment for the jealousy in my heart 
the moments of anger and the brokenness and the selfishness in me so that I could find forgiveness. And in with one sweeping move, God offers forgiveness to every single person who's ever existed, whoever would confess his name and place their faith in him. That is beautiful, beautiful news for you and I today. And if we would become utterly convinced of the fact that he really did resurrect from the dead, it would change everything about our lives. Now watch what happens to the disciples as the story continues. Verse number four, scripture says this, Jesus then, after convincing them of his resurrection, would say to them, he'd say, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Skipping down to verse number eight, but you will receive power. Everybody say power together. Power. One more time. Power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There would be this overwhelming power that would come into the lives of the apostles and the disciples. It would be deposited upon them and they would become witnesses. Jesus says, where? To the ends of the earth. That the second thing that is a component of a bold life is this. It's a life, number one, that's been convinced of the resurrection, but it's a life that's been empowered by the Spirit of God. Do you not find it ironic that Jesus would say, wait until my Spirit comes before you go? In fact, it almost seems kind of contradictory. Go into all the world, but hold up, wait a minute, don't go there, because I ain't with it. Until you get my Holy Spirit, do not move forward. It's kind of like the last couple weeks at my household. Two weeks ago, I woke up on Saturday morning, just felt like complete crap. And I, I don't do very well with sickness because it's hard for me to slow down. And sometimes I make myself worse when I get sick because I just keep moving and moving and moving. And then I notice all kinds of weird stuff happening, like my ears are hurting and my face is throbbing. And it was just everywhere. So finally, I decided I'm going to go to a doctor and see if she can help me knock this thing out. So I go into the doctor and who had been to South Bay Church one time and a couple of times before, and she, she says, what do you do professionally? I said, I'm a pastor. And then all of a sudden, she, she's like playing this game like she did. And then all of a sudden, she, yeah, I know who, you're the pastor of South Bay Church. And she said, I went there one time. And uh, anyways, I don't have, that has nothing to do with the story. Anyways, <laughs> it's just weird when people know you and you don't know them. You know what I'm saying? But it's just my life. I've gotten over it. I just think sometimes I'm like sitting there at Starbucks or Pete's and like people are looking at me that know me and I don't know them. So if you ever see me in public, please feel free to come up and say hi. I'll say hi to you. And shake hands, give hug. Anyways, back to the story. So I, I'm, I'm there in the doctor and I'm like, I just need to feel better. Just get me back to like normal. So she so, says, okay, you're, you clearly have an infection. I'll give you some meds in a few days. You'll be back to normal. But let me give you something to deal with the symptoms. And then she prescribes me four medicines. I'm like, yes, this is awesome. So I immediately go to the pharmacist and get all the medicines and I pop the pills. And I had been completely exhausted, couldn't sit at the computer, couldn't work. And then like in an hour, I'm back to normal. And I have the same strength that I did before I got sick. I'm like, this is awesome. All of a sudden now I can operate at a level that I could not operate an hour ago because there was strength just infused into me. Now every analogy breaks down at some point. God is not a pill that you can pop. Let me make that very clear. But there is a quantifiable difference between a life that is lived empowered by the Spirit of God and a life 
that is lived on our own strength. And so many of us want to make a difference, but a part of the reason we keep hitting resistance and running into walls and we're not making the kind of impact that we want is because we're doing it in our own strength. And what this means is both on a day-to-day basis and a moment-to-moment basis that we would pause and we would invite God to empower us to do the work he wants to do in our lives. That we would just stop long enough to say, God, I cannot share your love effectively without you working in and through me. It's like the difference between when I would go to the playground with my boys and in the morning I wake up and I spend time on my knees before God and I ask him for divine appointments during that day. And one time this happened, I went over to the playground here at Live Oak Park And on that day, I run into a guy who's walking through a horrible, nasty divorce, and I'm able to minister to him and speak hope and truth into his life. Like another day, I'd gone before God, and I said, God, I pray that you'd use me. I took my boys to the playground, sat down next to a guy who came to South Bay once, had not been for a very long period of time. I was able to speak into his life, invite him back to church. He came back. He got connected into a life group, and God began to change his life and his marriage all through that one conversation where I was working empowered with God's help and his spirit. There is a quantifiable difference between when you try to live your life on your own strength and when you try to live your life on God's strength. It's just slowing down enough to say, God, I need your help. God, w- when I speak to my spouse, some of you, you've been, you've been wanting your spouse's life to be different, and you've been asking God to change them, but a part of the transformation is you slowing down enough, instead of just barking orders at a spouse who's not connected to God, slowing down enough to say, God, empower me to speak hope, life, and love into this person that I'm married to. Some of you parents, it's, it's trying to invest in the life of your children, not just on your own strength, hoping that their lives will be changed and you're telling them what they need to do. It's slowing down enough to say, God, as a parent, I need you even to infuse the very words that I speak over the dinner table into the life of my kid. Being empowered by the Spirit radically changes our ability to share God's love with the people around us. Now, as the story continues, I want you to see this. Verse number 24, they come back. They've been threatened with their life. And the first thing that they do in Acts chapter 4, verse 24, I want you to see it. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in what? Is the verse not on the screen? I'm sorry. Let me start over. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You're the king daddy. You're over all. You are powerful and magnificent. And then down in verse 29 and 31. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great, what? Boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after that, they prayed The place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit of God and spoke the word of God, what? Boldly. There there was this dependence upon God through prayer. There was this fervency of God. I can't do this without you. I, I cannot possibly extend your kingdom to this broken world without you filling me up and then opening doors that I could not open on my strength. Let me give you a couple of stories on this. When we first moved here, I heard that you couldn't meet in a public school with a new church. And I remember thinking, well, I'm not even going to go ask the principal because a church can't be in a school. And one of my mentors said to me, Andy, that's just stinking thinking. That's dumb, if you want uh, a word for that. 
you need to go ask the principal. So before we did, we, we talked to all of our staff and our prayer partners, and we, we declared a three-day fast and prayer, time of prayer, to ask God to open the door for South Bay to meet in this facility. And for three days, over and over again, we were praying, God, please open up the door. Please move miraculously. I came into the vice principal's office, who was here at the time, and I was thinking that we'd have to have this long, drawn-out conversation about what our church would do, whether or not we'd burn weird candles in the facility. And, and you know, I went down and I sat in his office, and I just explained to him what we were trying to do, that we're trying to make a difference in the community, and we wanted to know if they'd let us use the building once a month for four months, and then for six weeks after that just to give it a trial. And if they didn't like us, and it, you know, they thought we smelled bad, and it wasn't working well, that they could kick us out. And you know what the guy said? He looked at me, and he goes, hmm, let's go check the calendar. If the calendar's free, you guys can meet here. Like that, in one moment, God just bursted open a door that could have remained closed for years. I think about when we started praying that God would provide financially for our church. Two incredible stories that still just give me goosebumps when I think back on them. There was this one church that I heard that invested $50,000 a year into new churches, but I didn't have any connection with them. And so every day I started praying so much that I was having dreams about this at night. I was praying. And I went to the church and I asked them if they would support and partner with us financially. I scheduled a meeting with their missions pastor. And did you know that almost to the week of when I went to meet with them, God laid on their pastor's heart that they should help start a church in the San Francisco Bay Area. Only God can open doors like that. Some of you have been trying to force a door open with your own strength, when if you would just pause and pray that God would change the heart of your spouse, or you would just pause and ask God to give an openness at your place of work to invest his love into the people around you, that God would put a door open that you've been trying to, to pry open with your own strength. Listen to me. Write this down. God can accomplish more with one spoken word than you can accomplish in your whole life of pushing. So don't you think it's wise for us to cooperate and partner with him one, one more, one more prayer request I wanted to share with you. I'd been praying that God would provide a specific amount of money that I actually wrote down on a note card, and every day for over a year, I would get down on my knees, and I'd say, God, I've never heard of a church having this much money when they started, but I know the Bay Area, and it's expensive, and at the level we want to make an impact, it's going to take you unleashing your resources. And every day I prayed, and you know what? We closed out our first financial year as a church, and I looked at the amount of money, and God had superseded my prayer by over 50% of what I had been asking him. And it was well above anything I'd ever heard God do in another church plant in his provisions. And I just thought, that is the power of God unleashed when we're willing to come before him in prayer. Are you sharing God's love and in a way where you are talking to God about man before you go and you talk to man about God. That's when there's this movement that begins to expand, expand exponentially in a way that is uncontrollable. And then the fourth thing, fourth thing. I just get so excited. Sorry, I'm tripping up over my words here. Fourth thing I want us to see. Verse 32 and 33. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own. And they continued every day with great power to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them. Do you see that? Listen, in the face of death, they stayed focused on the mission. Number four, a life that is bold stays focused on the mission. That is, the, that is at the essence of a church and a life that makes a difference, is that when there's all different things in life that we can be distracted with, 
often good things in our lives that we stay focused on the mission that God has given us to extend his love to people who are far from him. That's why as a church, we hammer it over and over and over again. Every time I said to Pastor Felipe before I was coming out on stage, every time I talk about God's heart for people who are far from him, I always sense this supernatural unleashing of God's spirit in our church because it's so near and dear to his heart. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said to the religious leaders who disliked his mission of ministering to people whose lives were broken, he said, I I didn't come for people who have their lives together. I came to seek and to save that which is lost. This is a church that will maintain its focus and vision as long as I am at the helm and God gives me the opportunity to be the lead pastor of this church. This is a church that will always stay focused on people who are far from God. We will do whatever it takes. We'll add services. We'll cut services. We'll move facilities. We'll challenge people. We will do whatever it takes in order to get this great love of God to every person, every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. That is at the core of our vision, and we will stay focused on that until God comes back and takes those of us who are his to be back with him in heaven. Now, I know that this is a big deal to break down. What does it look like for me to be bold? I know that this is often intimidating the concept of sharing God's love boldly. That's why, let me say a couple things. I need you to hang with me. I'm going to talk really fast the last couple minutes. We're doing a seminar tomorrow night called Go and Tell, and we're going to break down how you can specifically share about the difference that God's made in your life. Be there. I want to encourage you, do whatever it takes to be there. We're going to have childcare. We're going to have food, feed you dinner. It's going to be unbelievably gourmet food, but the content is why you need to be there because this, these tools about sharing God's love, we need them. And so on the back of your connection card at the end of the service, you can RSVP. But I want to, before I get there, I want to just cast vision for you of what, what it might look like for your life to be bold with God's love. It, it means when you go on a business trip this week and you're flying across the country to Toronto or New York, it, it's changing your mindset that you're not going there to sell a product you're going there to proclaim God's love, maybe to the person that's sitting next to you on the plane or that coworker that you're going to get to spend additional time with, that God's put you there for a very specific purpose so that you can make a difference. Listen, the scripture says that God determines the times and the places where all of us should live. And every person who lives around you, in your cubicle, and your neighbor, the people on your street, they're there because God wants to use you to make a difference in their lives. Some of you, your spouses or your kids or your grandkids are apart from a relationship with God. God has not taken you back to heaven yet because he wants to use you to make a difference in the life of somebody and be a link in the chain of somebody's eternity being transformed with his love. I'm trying to lift your vision here. I'm trying to help you see yourself as God sees you, and I'm trying to help you realize that your life can make an eternal difference that when you stand before God, there can be this massive train of people following behind you that they stepped across the line of faith because you were willing to boldly share the message of Christ, investing in them and inviting them to follow him and to receive his love. We're going to watch a short video and I'll be back up to tie it all together. So I'm, I'm Fred Torres. I'm Evelyn Torres. Um, the way this really started was we were looking for a, a church that we could call home. I happened to be in Guitar Showcase and I was looking at ads for you know any, anything that might lead to uh, playing at, at church and I did see one. I actually ended up calling um, and 
a really great guy named Archie answered the phone. <laughs> and we talked for a little bit. Um, and we decided to, to go ahead and hold an audition for me. Two weeks before actually going for my audition, we did a little reconnaissance. And we actually went out to the church to, to see what it was about. So it was a little strange going in. Uh, I didn't know what to, to expect. And when the service started, the music was magical. When, when the pastors came to talk, Andy was up there. And I knew it was like I was home. It really has um, been a change in our lifestyle. And I think the message it really does kind of help us uh, use that in a practical way. I think that's one of the things that we're really learning about. It was just changing me, transforming me. Healing was happening in my heart. And I knew that this was the place for, for my whole family. So we invited our daughter Jasmine. And then we invited Nate and Antoinette. And then Nate and Antoinette invited their mom, Jovita. And then Nate and Antoinette invited their sister, Arlene. And then Nate and Antoinette invited their sister, Janelle. And then we invited my sister, Evelyn. And then Evelyn invited her daughters and her son, Jonathan, Tian, and Desiree. And then Evelyn invited her son, her daughter-in-law, and her grandson, Sam, Louisa, and Jesse. And then we invited my mom. Probably should have started there first. And then we invited my cousin, Jerry and Yvette. And then we invited 30 more people. Hi, my name is Nathan Yap. I'm Antoinette. And we were invited to uh, attend South Bay from Fred and Evelyn Torres. In 2003, we lost a child. Uh, and for me, that was like a big you know, point in my life where I actually lost faith in God. It wasn't until we did get the invite and actually came out and attended uh, South Bay. For the first time, I was comfortable. I felt good. I felt at one with God. Uh, in that first service, it it hit me so hard. I mean, I mean, I was, I, I cried that service, uh, and I've never felt anything like that before. It just feels great, you know, for the first time in my life to to be able to, you know, have God in my life. Going to church and having and sharing a relationship with God has definitely transformed our lives and. Um, we're even starting to serve at the church, um, volunteering at Bay Kids. Um, I'm also leading a life group, so it's definitely been an amazing transformation. It really started out with the transformation that, that has created in our lives and in our family, and that was just sharing, sharing the word, uh, what was going on in, in our hearts and what was God doing in, in our lives and just be willing to, to invite. Invite the people that you care about and that you want to be here with you. You know, I, I want to remind you today that your life is constantly speaking, like a megaphone, louder than you can imagine to the people around you, at your place of work, to your family, to, to, your, to your extended family, to the people on your street, that your life is constantly speaking. And the beauty of the way that God works in us is that as God shapes and transforms our heart, we get to be able to shape what our life communicates. Our lives are speaking, our families are speaking, our church is speaking. 
The question is, are we speaking a message of God's love and his forgiveness? I love that story, don't you? One person, one family that would embody the mission of Christ to make a difference and God would use them to reach 60 people with his goodness and kindness. Could you imagine if all of us would embrace that, the difference that we could make? If all of us would lift our eyes to realize that it's, it's God's love changing us and then God using us to change others with his love, there's no end to what God could do. The Silicon Valley is 2.5 million people, 95% of whom don't know his love and his mercy. But it's more than just a statistic. It's your neighbor, it's your coworker, it's your husband, it's your son, your daughter, your grandchild that does not know the love of Christ. Will you embody the message of Christ to boldly share it? And sometimes we just need to break it down so simple. I love Evelyn and Fred saying, we just invited people to church with us. And next week, we're doing a series called Happiness Is, which is basically a practical way to learn about what it means to have God's happiness in our lives. And in every program, we put five invitation cards that I want to challenge you to distribute this week to a friend, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, somebody in your sphere of influence. A personal invitation is way more powerful than the 60,000 mail pieces that we'll send out this week. Your invitation to walk across the cubicle, to walk down the street, to walk across the office and invite somebody could make next week the eternal difference in their life that only can come through God's love. Will you receive his challenge? I want to ask you to take those cards and today to write down the name of five people on each of those cards and at some point during this week to distribute those cards and let's watch and see what God can do next week as we come before him with boldness, believing that he can use us to change the valley, that he can continue to exponentially spread his love through our lives. And I think that when we stand up here in year four and year five and year six, that we're gonna continue to be able to celebrate the goodness and kindness of God, that we're gonna be a part of the needle tipping and this region being transformed with this love because at the core is a group of people that are willing willing to be bold with God's love and to make a difference. Let's pray. God, thanks for this church. And I just celebrate the fact that what you've already started here is just beginning. And I want to pray a, a, a blessing of your boldness upon our people today, that you would help us embody your message in a way that we never have before. Some of you in the room today, you're, you're not connected to God. You haven't begun that relationship. You haven't placed your faith in him. Today can be that day. Very simply, just in your heart, you can say to him, God, I need you. Jesus, I believe that you died and rose again, and I place my faith in you. I give you control of my life. I want to let you be the leader in this moment, and that relationship can begin right now. Just say it to him in the quietness of your heart. Just whisper to him, say, God, I need you. Jesus, thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. Thank you that you are God who's living and active, that your spirit is here in this moment with us. And I pray that as we go forth, that you would give us increased boldness. In Jesus' name, amen.